Thank you. All right, so I asked Doug to uh, pull up the, the overhead from one of the worship songs we sang this morning. Uh, I, I want to read it, and obviously you can read it for yourself, but I want to read it for emphasis and for those who are listening later on the recording. Um, I love it. I love it when the Lord does stuff like this. Um, so I don't remember... It's been a long time. I don't remember the last time we sang this song. Caleb, do you remember? Really? Okay, so that might might be, the 10 years may be why I was thinking it's been a long time. But uh, one way or the other, I, I just think it's interesting that it was on Caleb's heart to sing this song this morning, to choose it for our, our worship, uh, because it has everything to do with what I'm, teaching this morning and of course I did not compare notes with Caleb ahead of time so the the lyric is this grace unmeasured vast and free that knew me from eternity that called me out before my birth to bring you glory on this earth thanks Doug you can head to my slides now Um, We're not going to be studying in the book of Acts. I mentioned last week, I'm going to get back to Acts soon. I was anticipating two weeks from today, uh, the the week after home church, but um, two weeks from today is Mother's Day, so we're going to do a Mother's Day-focused message on that Sunday. So, Lord willing, the third Sunday of next month, I will be back to the book of Acts, and we'll be digging into chapter 4 beginning chapter four. Uh, What I want to share this morning is just uh, the overflow of my own reading in the, in the, in the word of God and things that uh, the Lord was stirring in my heart as I was reading. And I'm currently reading through the book of Jeremiah and um, uh, a while back when I was in chapter one, I, I read slowly on purpose when I'm doing my daily reading. I don't like to read a lot of material, so I'll generally read just a chapter a day and then read it slowly and then focus on specific verses that that strike my heart as I'm reading. And as I was reading chapter one, beginning the book of Jeremiah, um, these two verses, verses four and five, stood out to me, struck my heart. They've struck my heart before. You know, I've read the book of Jeremiah many times in, in the years I've been walking in the Lord. And each time I've read Jeremiah, these two verses have been uh, significant to me. But um, they, they struck me this time from the standpoint of uh, they were beneficial to me as just a refreshment. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to share some of those thoughts with you as a refreshment and an encouragement and a strengthening influence, hopefully, for your heart as well. So let's, let's read those two verses Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, what's going on here is Jeremiah is sharing those who are reading his his prophetic book. He's sharing the story, what we would nowadays call his personal testimony. 
And he's sharing the moment, the, the moment that the Lord chose to stir his heart, open his eyes, and to understand that the Lord had a special purpose for his life. It's what we call, in fact, if you'll notice in the ESV, above verse 4 in italics, you have the ESV summary headline of what these next verses mean, and they call this section the call of Jeremiah. This is the moment. He knew the Lord before this moment. He was walking with the Lord before this moment. He was serving the Lord as a priest of the Lord, but he had not understood prior to this moment that the Lord had an additional and deeper purpose for his life than he had even recognized before this moment. And you have the brief story description for our benefit in verse four, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and then verse five, the, the, the narrative shifts from Jeremiah telling us what happened to him to a quote of what he heard the Lord speaking to him. And what the Lord spoke to him was what we can only describe now as a life redefining moment for Jeremiah. And it redefined his life by reshaping his perspective. And primarily, the perspective was focused in two directions. It reshaped his perspective about the Lord, and it reshaped his perspective about who he was as a man in relationship to the Lord. When I say it reshaped his perspective about the Lord, as I said, he already knew the Lord before this moment. But this word that the Lord spoke to him took his understanding and comprehension of who the Lord actually was to a deeper place, to a greater place, a more spiritual place. It, it formed in him what I can only describe as an eternal perspective. And I think this is super important. It was super important, of course, for Jeremiah, but I think this is super important for us as well. We live in a time-bound world experience, all of us. Everyone in the world does, including believers. But for believers, it's critically important that the Lord periodically raises our perspective above a time-bound perspective. To understand there's a bigger thing going on than just the present experience that's happening to me right at this moment. And in relationship to the Lord, as he was describing his own, the Lord's own relationship with Jeremiah, the Lord was giving him a peek into the past. Now, most of the time when we, when we talk about Bible prophecy, we think in terms of future-oriented events. And most Bible prophecies are focused on things that are going to happen in the future to whoever the Lord is revealing that prophecy to at that moment in history. But prophecy isn't limited to future. And it's, it's not limited even to the present. Prophecy also speaks the Lord's perspective to the one that he's revealing it to about the past. 
And a right perspective about the past is formative to a right perspective about the present and the future. If you don't understand your past, you won't understand in the right way your present. You will not understand in the right way your future. So I want to I want to call this message the Jeremiah perspective. And I'm calling it the Jeremiah perspective not because that fully describes the perspective that I want you to get out of this study. It's just the Lord gave it to him. The Lord spoke it through him. And so it's just an easy way to remember it and to reference it. But in a more spiritual sense, I would really prefer to call this an eternal perspective rather than simply limit it to Jeremiah. Because the issue is, all right, the Lord spoke this to Jeremiah and it's an awesome thing that he said to him. But is, is it right, is it allowable for me to read this and then to seek some application to my own life? I'm not Jeremiah. And where he ends up at the end of verse five, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. None of us can lay claim to that assignment from the Lord. It's a huge assignment. It was, it, was a, it was a tremendous assignment. At that moment in history, Jeremiah, we could make the case, was the single most important human being on the face of the planet because he was the one that the Lord was speaking most directly to and through. And none of us are going to, again, make that claim about ourselves. But I do believe that what the Lord spoke to Jeremiah was intended to be spoken to our hearts as well and for us to gain what Jeremiah gained in terms of a shift of his core perspective of who the Lord is and who Jeremiah was in relationship to the Lord. Now, why is that? Let me share with you two passages, uh, both of which I should be familiar to you, but one more than the other. Uh, Let's look at 2 Timothy the question I'm answering right in these two passages is what the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, does it, can it apply to you as well as Jeremiah? Details being different in terms of the outworking of the perspective, but the core perspective, does it apply to you? Second Timothy chapter three, one of the most important verses in all of the Bible, verse 16 All scripture, which of course includes the prophecy of Jeremiah, all scripture, and not just the prophecy of Jeremiah, but all that's contained within the prophecy of Jeremiah, including Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that includes you and me, the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So the Lord does apply Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5, to your heart and to mine if we truly belong to the Lord and intend to serve him in the way that the Lord has called us to serve him. The second passage we've studied together, but it's not as well known. This is from much earlier in our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Head over to Matthew chapter 11. And I'm going to make the case and say, while what the Lord spoke to Jeremiah does apply to him, and it applied to him in a very powerful way, 
like I said earlier, a life-redefining way, I'm going to make the case and say there is a sense in which what the Lord spoke to Jeremiah applies more to you than it does to him. Uh, Matthew 11. We'll read verse 11. This is from a, an interaction between Jesus and his disciples when um, there was some concern about John the Baptist because John the Baptist had, of course, been captured by King Herod, imprisoned by him, and executed by him. And um, but just before he died, uh, John even at one point in the extremity of his suffering and in, in his imprisonment had sent a message to Jesus questioning whether did I get it right when I introduced you to Israel as the chosen one, the Messiah, the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Did I get it right um, or did I get it wrong? Because here I'm, I'm floundering in prison and I had expected that if you were the chosen one, we'd be, I'm putting words into his mouth at this point, but we'd be basically taking over the world rather than being taken over by the world. And so this is what Jesus said to his disciples to help them to rightly understand who John was. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And I hope you remember the emphasis from when we studied this in Matthew 11. Jesus essentially is describing every human being from Adam until the moment that he was speaking these words. And he's saying, out of all of those human beings that had ever lived in history, not one of them was greater than John the Baptist, the greatest man who had ever lived up until that point in history. That's an amazing description. The greatest assignment equals the greatest man if he is faithful to that assignment, which is what John was. But he didn't stop there. He has one more line and he introduces it with the word yet, which it could have been translated but, the point being that he's now drawing a comparison and a contrast between who John was and the greatness of who John was to who he's about to describe. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what is he talking about? The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven. All of those who lived in the old covenant belonged to the Lord, had a covenant relationship with the Lord. If they were true and faithful to the Lord by God's saving grace, they were saved by the Lord. But they were not members in the same way of the kingdom of heaven. That required the king of the kingdom of heaven coming himself and calling them into his kingdom. And so what he's contrasting here really is John to his own disciples. And what he says here applies to them who were listening to him that day, but also all who would ever become his true disciples after him. And the point is, John was the greatest of the old. That means greater even than Jeremiah. And yet, the least of those who truly belong to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus counts as greater 
than John and greater than Jeremiah, greater than all of the others of the old covenant. So in that sense, the, the point is there is an even greater assignment given to those who are now in the new covenant than to any who were in the old covenant. So whatever the Lord says to Jeremiah about this does apply to us, is meant to speak to us. The details are going to be different because we are not like Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations in the same sense or in the same way. But we have our own significance that is determined by the Lord's purpose and appointment for us. So what I want to focus on this morning is what did the Lord say to Jeremiah and how should it apply to us? So let's head back to Jeremiah. I want to reread the verses and then I want to dig into them a little bit. I'm not going to go into great depth and detail about each one of these four things that he highlights. If I did, I would be turning this into a minimum of four-part miniseries. And you know how I tend to do that kind of stuff, but in this case, I just want to do a single message. So I'm going to do an overview of each of these. And we have talked about each one of these things before, but they've all been parts of other studies that we've done. So in this case, it'll be new in the sense that we're focused on it in a new and different way. Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5 again. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, I, as I mentioned, this is, a, this is a life redefining perspective, but it's not one that Jeremiah just decided, you know what, I need to think differently. And so I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna picture myself in a new and greater way. And that will change my life for the better. The perspective that I'm calling the Jeremiah perspective is a perspective that comes from the Lord himself. It comes from heaven. It's a heavenly perspective. It's the Lord speaking this from his throne to Jeremiah and about Jeremiah, and it's describing Jeremiah in his relationship with the Lord, but not his relationship with the Lord at this present moment in his life experience. It's talking primarily about the past, Jeremiah's past. How far back does it go? It goes as far back as it's possible to conceptualize. And there are four elements, and all four of these elements are focused not on anything Jeremiah is presently doing. It's focused entirely on what the Lord has already done in relationship to Jeremiah. And these four things apply, as I mentioned a moment ago, to you in relationship to what the Lord has already done toward you and with you and for you if you truly belong to him. The four elements are this. I'm just going to read them in the order that they're presented in verse 5. Formed, known, consecrated, and appointed. And now we're going to flip the order a little bit by flipping the first two because that's how the Lord presents them. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So in right spiritual chronology, this is how we're meant to understand them. 
the Lord did four things in relationship to Jeremiah that define Jeremiah's life from a truly spiritual perspective, from what we can only now describe as an eternal perspective. The Lord knew him. The Lord formed him. The Lord consecrated him. And the Lord appointed him. So let's break these four down, try to define them a little more clearly. And I want to give you uh, a couple of practical examples uh, to connect with them. When the Lord says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He's describing his relationship to Jeremiah. And it's meant to speak to our hearts about his relationship to us. When did our relationship with the Lord actually begin? Now, from a personal experience standpoint, you've heard a little bit of my story, and some of you have heard my entire story, but it's been years since I've shared it. But I was saved, I was born again, in February of 1979. From my personal experience standpoint, I began to know the Lord I entered into a relationship with the Lord in February of 1979. The first 24 years of my life prior to that experience, prior to that moment, I lived in this world. The Lord was in existence. He was surrounding me the entire, every moment of my lifetime. He hadn't winked out of existence in my first 24 years. I just was oblivious to him. I didn't know him. I wasn't aware of him. I didn't think about him. I didn't love him. I wasn't concerned about him. I was just motoring through my first 24 years um, completely unaware. And then something dramatic happened to me. And in February of 1979, my heart changed. And I was suddenly fully aware of him and entered into a relationship with him. But that's all describing my relationship with God through my perspective, the perspective that can only really be based upon my experience up until that point in my life. What the Lord is doing here for Jeremiah and what I believe he wants to do for each one of us is to deepen your perspective to understand that's not when my relationship with the Lord began. It's just when I became aware that I had a relationship with the Lord. What the Lord says to Jeremiah is, before I formed you in the womb, forming in the womb is what we call the conception and then gestation in the womb. Before that, the Lord says, I knew you. That means the Lord is essentially saying to him, if we're going to use biological descriptions, before you were conceived, I knew you. Now, does that mean you existed before you were conceived? There are some splinter Christian groups that argue for an existence before conception in terms of human existence in some kind of spiritual sense. That's wrong. It's not taught anywhere in Scripture. You did not exist before the moment of your conception. But the Lord says that he knew you before the moment of your conception. He knew you, and he uses a specific term to describe it. It's the Hebrew word yada, 
and it describes what we can only understand as intimate relationship. I reference Genesis chapter four, verse one. For the sake of time, I won't turn back to it. But it's describing, it uses this same word to know, yada. It, it, it's describing the relationship between Adam and Eve. And it says in Genesis 4, 1, that Adam knew his wife. Now that's, that's a polite scriptural way of the Lord revealing that Adam and Eve got what we call nowadays married. And in their marriage experience, they became physically intimate with each other. Adam became physically intimate with his wife so that after that experience, they connected at a deeper level than he connected with any other human being in his life. The Lord chooses that same word, not because of the sexual connotations, but because of the intimate knowledge connectedness that is produced by that human experience. And he's saying before you were formed in the womb, he knew you in that deeply personal, intimate way, even before you actually existed. So what does that imply for us? How can you know someone that doesn't exist yet? It implies that the Lord conceptualized you before you were even conceived. And in that conceptualization of who you would be, he fully, intimately, personally knew you. Now, if you can grasp the depth of that description, it is a life reshaping perspective. And the Lord wanted Jeremiah to have that perspective before he entered into the assignments and the works that were ahead of him to accomplish. Because there's something about the challenge of what's ahead of Jeremiah that this perspective is the only thing that can rightly prepare him for what he is going to be experiencing. Going to be experienced. So... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There is a New Testament parallel to this. Let's turn over and read it. It's been years now, uh, maybe 15 or more years, but I I taught the church through the book of Ephesians, and uh, I just want to just briefly remind us of one of the main points in chapter 1 of Ephesians. I'll read verses 3 through 5. What, what Paul does in Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 is he describes in more theological terms what the Lord said to Jeremiah in more personal terms. It's the same essential message. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Did you exist before the foundation of the world? No, but you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That means not just before your conception in the womb, but before the very first creative thing that God did back in Genesis chapter one, before he created the universe itself, 
he says, you were chosen before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That speaks to the purpose for why he chose you. And then this line in, this is a translation issue. These last two words at the end of verse four really belong to verse five. It should be read this way. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So verse five is a fuller explanation of the declaration of verse four that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now he explains and says, what that means is he predestined us for, a, for relationship with him. And what kind of relationship were we predestined for? We were predestined for family relationship. Father to child relationship. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. There's another passage, and let's now turn back to the book of Psalms that also describes this same perspective. This is from Psalm 139, and I'll just read the first six verses. David is describing, in essence, the Jeremiah perspective because the Lord had revealed similar things to him as he had to Jeremiah. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Known being past tense. Known how far back known. Known from eternity past. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Not that the Lord is far from our thoughts, but far before we think them, the Lord knows what we're going to think. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, meaning you surround me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. How high is it? It's a heavenly eternal perspective. I cannot attain it. And we can receive it, we can believe it, but it is, it's beyond natural human comprehension. The things that David, Paul, and Jeremiah were describing to us. Now the second thing that's in emphasis in terms of what the Lord has done in eternity past in relationship to us is Okay, he knew us in eternity past, but there came a moment where it's time for me to enter into this world, to be brought into existence by the grace of God, and then to live my own life. And that starts at the moment of conception. So the Lord says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. But the emphasis at the first part of that verse is now what I want to focus your attention on. The Lord says, I formed you in the womb. You know how in our culture today, there's a huge debate about when does life begin? Blah, 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 blah. And most of our culture has completely 
disconnected from this perspective that's represented in Jeremiah 1.5 and disconnected to the society's ultimate detriment and eventual destruction. This society, based upon the perspective that it's operating under, will be destroyed. It's only a matter of time. And, you know, from a purely patriotic perspective, everybody, you know, America, greatest nation ever in the history of the world. That's not true, number one. But number two, how many nations before this nation have had their shining moment in history, dominated the world, similar to how we're dominating, and even in a greater way, and then have passed off the stage of history never to be seen again. And each one of them passed off the stage of history because of their disregard for the Lord, his words, and his ways. So he says, before I, knew, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This word form is a Hebrew word, yatsar. And I want to connect it to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, you should be well familiar with. It's the story, the second creation account. Genesis 1 is a high-level creation account. Genesis 2 is a more detailed, personal creation account. And in the Genesis 2 account, verse 7 describes for us the moment in the week of creation. This is on day 6, of course, where the Lord created Adam. And this is how it's described. Then the Lord, verse Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord formed Yatsar. Same word that Jeremiah uses, or actually the Lord uses to speak to Jeremiah. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. You've heard me describe this before. It's commonly used in the ancient culture of that day to describe a potter working with clay. Personally involved, getting his hands in the clay, shaping and fashioning the clay, causing that clay to transform from a lump to whatever was in the mind and heart of the potter, whatever he conceptualized, whatever he wanted to produce from that clay, that's how he wants human beings to understand that's how he formed Adam. And then when we get to Jeremiah, he speaks to Jeremiah and he says, before I yatsard you in the womb, before I shaped you in the womb like a potter shapes clay. Now I see big big implications for this for our life perspective the implication is simply this god personally was involved in how you became who you are personally involved in shaping and forming you in a specific way and this is one of the things there's many things about the lord that are just mind-boggling but this is one of them. How many of you have ever, ever heard this about snow? That there are literally no two snowflakes that are identical. If you look at a snowflake and its actual, its actual structural design under a microscope, have you ever seen a snowflake under a microscope? Have you ever seen a picture of the structure of a snowflake? I'm, I'm asking for some response here. Are you guys... Listen, I had a, a dream last night. This is why I'm doing this right now. Um, I had a dream last night. It wasn't a pleasant dream. It wasn't what I exactly call a nightmare, but it was an unpleasant dream. I dreamed I was in church, and I dreamed I was preaching to you, 
and I, I dreamed there was only like eight people here. I mean, we have a few more than eight. We've got a bunch of people out of town right now. But still, it's a, s a small crowd today. And um, out of the eight that I was preaching to, there were only two pews. There were eight people sitting in those two pews. Half of them were asleep. <laughs> so uh, four were paying attention, but they were kind of like on the verge of nodding off. And the other four were just like literally chin on, on chest and out. And I'm like preaching, you know. And I'm like, yeah. And it was just like, whew, right over their heads and not, not impacting, not, not having any effect whatsoever. I mean, I had that dream last night. So uh, when you're quiet and when I'm asking a question, it, it bothers me <laughs> this morning more than it does usually. <laughs> oh, man. Um, how many of you have seen a snowflake under a microscope? Okay, if you haven't, Google one as soon as you get home. I want you to look at it. They're, they're amazing designs. Literally, in all the history of snowflakes, how many snowflakes have fallen in all of human history? All of world history. How many snowflakes? Trillions of gazillions of bazillions. And no two are exactly alike. Individual, unique, special. Each one a masterpiece. Each one unique. So the Lord formed you in the womb to be exactly the way he wanted you to be. We, you know, there's a whole thing going on in our culture currently with the transgender thing. And, and the culture that is so supportive of that completely misses this point. Completely misunderstands that the Lord formed you a specific way for a specific and special purpose. How, what part of you did he form? Yes, he formed your physical body. That's clear and obvious. He wanted me to look like this. I mean, short of a few extra pounds, right? <laughs> the point being that the Lord, yes, formed your physical body, but he also formed what you would be like. He formed your personality before you had one. He formed your capabilities. He formed even, I think, your interests. He made some of us more interested in some things than others. And those interests, as I've shared before, tend to lead us in the direction of eventually discovering the Lord's special purposes for us. The Lord formed us in the womb. So let's go back to Psalm 139. David also addresses this concept in the same psalm that we read from earlier. 139 verse 13. David says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David's soul knew it very well. It's important, so important for your soul to know this very well. If you don't know it very well, you'll be susceptible you'll be susceptible to any kind of influence that comes down the media pipeline, the internet pipeline, the cultural and social pipeline. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. That's a life-redefining, eternal perspective. Now, we're at the end of our time and I'm only halfway through Jeremiah 1. I said I wouldn't turn this into a four-parter, so I'm not. But I may have to turn it into a two-parter. So let's focus our attention here then on just the known and the formed part that I've covered so far. And in our application, what I wrote is, believe that God knew and as as Ephesians emphasizes, knew and loved you because in love you were predestined uh, to the adoption as sons in Christ Jesus. That God knew and loved you in eternity completely and intimately before you even existed and appreciate then the unique design God followed in making you who you are. It's, there's, a, there's a purpose in why he made you the way you are. and I could give so many examples I've used this one before Um, I had an interest from early 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 childhood I had an interest in reading that was above average it doesn't mean I'm the greatest reader ever in human history but I am if you were to rank every human being that's ever read a book in all of human history I've read more than most of them and why Why did I have such an interest in reading from such an early age? I don't believe that. I just decided, you know, I'm going to be a reader. I think the Lord formed me to be a reader. Why? It should be obvious. My whole life, my work, my assignment, my purpose, my existence is defined by reading. And then, hopefully, rightly comprehending. And then, effectively communicating to you the benefits of what I have read and comprehended from what is revealed in God's word. But there are many, many, many things like that. The Lord specially formed you in a way that he didn't form anyone else. You are a unique snowflake in that sense. You are unlike anybody else. It doesn't mean you're more special than everyone, but it does mean you are special. And there is a special purpose connected to that, which Lord willing, in our next time, we can return to and uh, dive a little deeper into. All right, I think because, um, because I've already gone over, uh, Caleb, I think we'll pass on the final song. Let's pray and uh, leave this in the hands of the Lord. Father, thank you for what you've chosen to reveal to us. Thank you that you have made it known to us that you have known each one of us from before we even existed and before even the universe that surrounds us existed, we were in your heart and mind and that you knew us, you conceptualized us, you planned for us, you purposed for us. And then when the moment came in history, when it was our time to live, you formed us and made us a very specific kind of way. 
I pray that you would help each one here to uh, take that to heart, to understand it, to comprehend it, to be refreshed by it, to be renewed by it, to be reshaped in a life-redefining kind of perspective, preparing us for all that you've planned that's ahead of each one of us in our individual life assignments. I thank you so much for your eternal and amazing grace that rests upon us. Amen.